I uh, want to be very candid, and if we have some visitors, I don't know if somebody's here visiting Sterling College this weekend or something, uh, tonight, I need to apologize, is not your typical chapel message. Uh, every year, or every time I've been asked to speak in chapel, I'm kind of excited. Uh, what passage do they want? What topic do they want? And, and uh, I got this, this topic in this passage, and when I looked at it, the way I felt God leading and, and going through this is not typically what I would speak or how I would speak. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm nervous about it. And uh, so if it's a little different, uh, please come back to Sterling because it's not always like this. In today's world, we're seeing more and more people react emotionally very quickly. I'll give an example that uh, is in my world. I have a lot of basketball players over there. If I make the following statement, Kobe Bryant was better than LeBron James will ever be, immediately I just lost some of my guys, right? How many, how many are ready to go home right now? There's a few of you over there, I know. Yeah, I see the hand, there you go. And all of a sudden, everything else I say becomes less persuasive because you reacted emotionally. The last few days, if I say the word um, Black Lives Matter or Colin Kaepernick, immediately some people have emotional reactions one way or another. And one of the dangers in today's world is when people have those emotions, they stop listening, and I would suggest they stop thinking. If I would say Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton... Whichever side of the vote you're on, you would react. And I want to ask a favor for you tonight. We're going to talk about some topics tonight that could cause some emotional reactions. We're going to start out with some phrases or some things that might stir up us in a way, and it's really easy to shut down. And I'm going to ask you to consider thinking through the whole process, going on a journey with me through the Old and the New Testament to see how God takes something, something we're not used to talking about and uses it to make a very clear point, but something that's also going to result in a wonderful promise when we're all done. It's going to be awkward at times. It's going to be different at times, uh, but I believe this is what God has for us. One of the things I've learned is that you can't pick and choose what God says in the Bible. When God says something, you can't go past, oh, I disagree with that part, I agree here, I disagree here. We have to take his word as a whole. Because any time we shrink part of it or, or dispose of part of it, we're missing out on something that he has. So we're going to, we're going to take a little journey here. Um, in the Old Testament, especially in the time of the prophets, which is the journey we're going through, you see a pattern that happens over and over again. People are, are going through life, and life is pretty good. Life is pretty normal. The, the nation's prosperous, and they start going through life and doing things, and pretty soon they become less conscious of sin. Pretty soon they start drifting and, and less conscious of their need for God. And, and God sends people, God sends these prophets to wake them up. But like us, after a while you stop you stop listening, or you stop hearing. How many of us have heard the same pastor at our church for a long, long time, and it's easy to tune them out if we want? 
My, my dad's a preacher. I can tune my dad out anytime I want. All right? And, and we do that. And, and people in the Old Testament were doing that. And so sometimes to make a point, God actually chooses to use analogies or metaphors or language that's pretty crude. It's pretty shocking. We were just having a conversation in our house the other day about when is it appropriate to swear or use obscenity. And actually, we're going to look at an example today where, where God uses as a metaphor something we don't talk about. And actually, it's going to feel a little bit awkward. Now, this is, this is something he had to do to wake people up. This is to, an, uh, to a prophet, actually, who God said to this. God said to him, listen, the people aren't getting it. Here's your job as a prophet. For the next three years, you're going to be prophesying what I tell you. By the way, before you do it, take off your sandals, take off your clothes. For the next three years, you're going to go nude. And you're going to preach nude, and you're going to prophesy nude. Think about that in church on Sunday. Think about Christian Chapel next time. He'll, you'll all laugh, and he'll wonder what's, what's going on, right? But not for a day, not for a week, for three years. Because that was going to be a picture of their children being taken away naked into slavery. And God was trying to wake people up. And so, so we're going to look at this analogy, this metaphor. And what it says to us today, what it says to us as we try and live our lives, if it makes you uncomfortable, understand that was God's intent originally. If it makes you see your life and your lifestyle differently, that was what, what God intended originally. Dealing with prophecy is tough. We want it to come together. We want when we preach a sermon or we, we look at a Bible study, we want all the pieces to come together nice and neat. And frankly, in prophecy, it doesn't. Sometimes prophecy comes together in a very specific place. Sometimes prophecy is fulfilled over and over and over and over again. Sometimes there's a specific fulfillment and another fulfillment to come. And when we want it nice and neat, it doesn't always work that way. Today we're going to see one of those. Where there was a specific fulfillment to this prophecy, and yet a promise for us still to come. I'm going to read the passage first. Again, please, please stay with me through it, because it's going to be some things that right away are going to catch us and say, what, did I just hear what I said, or what was said? If you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 4, verses 1 through 6, it says this. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. The Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the night and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Let me pray. Lord, we're going to deal with some tough stuff and things that uh, raise our, our hackles a little bit and make us squirm. And I pray that in this, uh, we would hear your voice. 
we would hear the voice of an urging God calling out to his people to wake them up, to help them look beyond their comfort, to look beyond their passivity, and to see what life you offer to them. I pray for myself, for sensitivity, for understanding, and just a, a, a willingness to follow you wherever you lead tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I, I get this passage, and I, I go to my wife, and I, I have to talk about God removing the filth of women. Isn't that a horrible statement? What's the first question that comes to mind? What about the filth of guys, right? Did, that, did anybody think about that? What? I was surprised there wasn't a woman who shouted that out right there. Wait a minute, there's, there's another half to the equation here. Let me give you a little bit of background to set this up and to help us understand what's going on here so we don't mistake what God's trying to do. Again, I, this is a prosperous time. People are living life. Uh, there's four kings that Isaiah serves during it. And during that time, things are pretty good. Yes, there's pressures. We heard from Dr. Gabrielson on Wednesday. There's pressures from the north and from the south. And yet in, in Judea, things are pretty good. But in the first six chapters of Isaiah, we get a collection of different visions that he has. And let me just read to you the critiques that God has or the things that God is pointing out. For those people, religion had become meaningless. They went, they offered their sacrifices, they followed their laws, but it didn't impact their behavior at all. The rulers had become corrupt. They took bribes. They, they operated outside of God's plan. They were making alliances with foreign nations instead of trusting God and what he had told them to do. They actually, the term is used, they paraded their, sh their sin without shame. Something that used to be shameful no longer was. Um, they were oppressing and mistreating the poor. This is a direct quote. They were heroes at drinking wine and champions of mixing drinks. They were calling evil good and good evil. And the last thing in the list, right before this chapter, God says, and your women have become haughty and vain. If you read through the whole book of Isaiah, you, you've got lots of issues on the men's side, on the women's side. It doesn't matter. But in this particular situation, God then in, in Isaiah chapter 4 deals specifically with this last topic, that the women had become vain and had become haughty. And what was going to happen to them was when the nation was overrun, when, when calamity came, they... they their hair was going to fall out, their jewelry was going to be taken, their clothes were going to be taken, and they would come to a place where they were so desperate that seven women would go to one man, please let me be your wife, let us be your wife, we'll do everything, just give us your name for protection and companionship. That is the situation that he's describing. And into that, then God gives this promise about a branch. What does that mean for us? Let me take you on a little journey. If you have your Bibles, we may want to flip back and forth to a couple things. First of all, the beautiful branch. The branch that uh, that day, oh, I'm sorry, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit, the fruit of, uh, the fruit of the, um, 
beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory to the survivors of Israel. When all this had happened, eventually there was going to become this branch that would show up. Out of this tree of Israel, the tree of David, there would be this branch. And someday, that branch would change everything. That's a prophecy about Jesus. That's a prophecy about someday Jesus is going to come, and when he comes, everything changes. When we look at the sin that's there, when we look at the oppression these women were under, Jesus was going to change it all. Now, we're going to come back to that, but I want to jump into this next piece because this is where we're going to have to do the most work. We have this verse, The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and spirit of fire. One of the things that happens in our world today, one of the things that was happening there is people quit calling sin, sin. We say, I made a mistake. We say, uh, yeah, that was probably inappropriate. That was immature. My bad. My bad. Or I, I just goofed. Or at least it's not as bad as that person or, or that person. We, 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 we don't call sin what it is. And one of the things that would happen in the time of Isaiah is people refuse to acknowledge what sin is. We tolerate what we might not normally tolerate. And so into this world, God is going to make a very graphic a very pointed illustration to try and and get the people to understand what sin is and how sin looks. And he does it in a way that's very familiar to his audience. This is how the people listening to Isaiah would have heard it. They have as reference Leviticus 15, 19. It says this, When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. This is the world of the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. This is the world, yes, we are talking about menstruation tonight. I told you some of you, I saw three basketball players put their heads down right away. All right? This is the world. There's a book called The Red Tent, written by Anita Diamond. It actually was turned into a miniseries by Lifetime. And it describes the process that when a woman went into her monthly period, she moved outside of the, the encampment or the town or the community for, for, the, about for seven days where she was unclean. And they actually had a tent outside there so different women could go and they would be there. And this was a normal part of their existence. Now, when you were unclean, when you were done, you had to go back. You had to offer a sacrifice. There was a purification ritual. And then you could go back and join the community again. This is the context that Isaiah is going to start talking. Now, Isaiah is going to use this metaphor throughout the book. And actually, some very common verses that we have quoted and said may take on new significance to us when we start to think of them in this context. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, your sins are red as scarlet. Your sins are as crimson. Your hands, a few verses later, are full of blood. 
it's very possible that Isaiah is using this in the same context. That when he talks about how graphic sin is, your hands are as red as the blood of menstruation. As dark as the crimson blood that stains the menstrual cloths. Your hands are not just coated in blood. They're, they're coated in menstrual blood. And it's, it's the squeamish and hard and awkward thing to talk about. It gets even more clear later in, in, in Isaiah. In Isaiah 64, 5 through 6, he says this. And again, remember in the context of people thinking what they're doing is right. He says this. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. You was God. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's the English version. That's somebody who wants to make things a little bit nicer. Let me read it for you the way Isaiah said it. If we would use the Hebrew translation. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts, all the things we try to do right are like clothing made out of used menstrual cloths. We all shrivel up like a leaf. Let me put it, maybe if that didn't get through. When you and I simply try and do right, when we lose sight of what God's word says and we live our lives and we start calling evil good and evil good, God says what we think is righteousness is like us putting on clothes that we made out of used tampons. That's a gross statement, right? It's okay. This is okay to squirm and giggle. Some, I, it's, this, this is an awkward one for me, believe me. I didn't want to talk about this either. <laughs> but to a people who weren't getting it, to a people who were, hey, this is okay. I can live like this. I can do this. God had to do something drastic to make his point. So what do we do with this? If this is sin, if this is how God is, is, is resorting to making his point about sin, what do we do with this? Let me take you to the New Testament. Remember who the branch is. The branch is Jesus. There's a story in the New Testament. There's this guy named Jairus. Jairus is a, is a wealthy guy. He's well known. His daughter is dying. She's 12 years old. And Jairus sends... He goes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, please come and help my daughter. And on the way, there is a crowd, and Jesus is walking. They're in a hurry, because Jairus wants to get there as soon as possible. And Jesus says, wait, stop. He said, somebody touched me. You see, there was a woman who also 12 years ago, something started happening. She was an adult woman. And 12 years ago, she started bleeding menstrually, and she would not stop. It was a daily, uh, daily occurrence. And because of this, for 12 years, she was outside the community. For 12 years, she couldn't be in a relationship. For 12 years, she was ostracized. She went to doctors. She tried to find help. And nothing, nothing happened. And for 12 years, she was unclean. And her thought was, okay, I've heard of this Jesus. If I can simply touch his clothes, maybe I'll be healed. But you see, here's the problem. If she touches Jesus by law, what happens? 
Jesus becomes unclean. And so she sneaks up, she gets in the crowd, and she touches Jesus, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus stops. He says, who touched me? They said, Lord, everybody is touching you. It's a crowd. He says, no, somebody, somebody touched me. I felt healing power come out of me. And he stops and he talks to the woman. He says, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. And while he's talking to this woman, the little girl dies. And Jesus gets to the house. And the people are crying and wailing. Jesus says, don't worry, she's just asleep. And people are shaking their heads. And he walks into her room. And he reaches down and grabs her hand. And here's the problem again. You see, when you touched a dead person in Jewish law, you were also unclean for seven days. And yet Jesus reaches down. He grabs her hand. He says, little girl, get up. And she wakes up and she joins her family. And Jesus tells her dad, don't be afraid, just believe. See, a lot of people are scared of sin. They're afraid if I admit I'm a sinner, if I admit this is really bad, if I, if I acknowledge this, then what's going to happen? And what we don't understand is that when we acknowledge what it is, that our Savior, this branch, is the one who takes what's unclean and makes it clean. Whether it be the woman who's bleeding, whether it be the young girl who's dead, his touch makes unclean things clean. Now, let me, let me take this one step deeper. You might think, okay, this is a woman thing. We started talking about this. Let me put this, and again, my apologies to visitors. Let me put this in something that we all understand. Because sin is for all of us. Sin, sin touches every one of us. Dr. Mark Bailey is the president of, of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And years ago, I heard him speak, and he said something that stuck with me. He says, if we do not have a clear doctrine of sin... We only have a partial gospel. And if we're not aware of how deep and how messy and how filthy our sin is, we only have a partial sense of God's grace. And so if we're willing to understand what sin is, only then can we understand what grace is. And for guys who are in here, especially guys who maybe didn't grow up with sisters, let me try and broaden this illustration, okay? So something we've all experienced, because at the end of the day, we've all talked about, or we've all experienced sin, okay? So we've already made people uncomfortable talking about menstruation. Let's talk about diarrhea. All right? We've all had it, right? If you're a guy and you live in Campbell and or Kilbourne, you've walked into a bathroom after somebody who's had it at some point in time in your four years here. And you turn and walk back out. <laughs> By the way, if you have it, it's a rule. You need to clean it up and not leave it for somebody else. Don't be proud of it. Don't, don't, don't run away. All right? 
Diarrhea is something that we all know and have experienced. And if we want to say, what's something that's filthy? Diarrhea is one of the first things that comes to mind, right? If Isaiah were talking today, let me paraphrase how he might have said these same verses. Though your sins be brown and green like diarrhea, someday you'll be white as snow. Your hands are full of diarrhea. All of us have become, I'm just quoting scripture here, all of us have been like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like clothing we've made from towels that we've used to clean up diarrhea. That's how God describes sin. And it's not a male thing, and it's not a female thing. It is a, 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 a spiritual filth that until we acknowledge, we never turn away from. One of the challenges in coaching is when you have a player who's doing something wrong, but they think they're doing it right. That's the way their high school coach told them, or that's the way their junior high coach told them. Until they acknowledge that that's the wrong way to go, they never change. And until you become convinced that your sin is actual filth, it's not going to bother you that much. What do we do with this? What's the principle? What's the promise? I know I promised at the beginning that we'd come to a promise. Let me take you to one more passage in Isaiah. And it's actually a parallel passage here that uh, when you go through these two passages, the terms and the words that Isaiah uses are very similar. Let me just read some of these similarities. We're going to be in Isaiah 30. In Isaiah 4, he uses the word over and over, in that day, in that day, in that day, there's going to be a branch, in that day. This is going to happen in Isaiah 30, 23. In that day is repeated again. In the day is repeated over and over. Isaiah 4, 3. Those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. In Isaiah 30, 19, it says this. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious will he be when you cry for help. In Isaiah 4, 4. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the blood stains from Jerusalem. In Isaiah 30, then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. Isaiah 4, 5, and the Lord will create a Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day, a glow of flaming fire by night. Isaiah 4, or 30, 27. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath and his tongue is a consuming fire. He's repeating these same motifs over and over again. Let me give you the context of Isaiah 30. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. God wants us to see sin as filth. And he talks to a people who try and try and try and they deny, they deny what's going on. Let me, let me just jump here and just read a few of these verses. It says this. 
The people are rebellious people. They're deceitful. They say to the seers, see no more visions. They say to the prophets, don't tell us what's right. Only tell us pleasant things. Get out of our way. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. This is what the Holy One of Israel says then. Because you've refused to acknowledge sin, because you've rejected this message, your sin's going to become like a high wall, bulging and cracked. And someday, sometime, it's going to crack and blow up. You can manage life for a while. Life will go on for a while. Prosperity will happen. But to the Israelites, sooner or later, the Assyrians are going to come and your world's going to blow up. You can live your lifestyle how you want it for a while, and you can make life work, and God's word says sooner or later, sin is sin, and it's going to eventually blow up. God says when it does, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you wouldn't have any of it. So you decide to work harder. You flee and you do all kinds of things. And he says, at the end of the day, you end up by yourself on a hill with nobody to turn to. And in that desperation, here's the promise. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord's a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people who live in Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious will he be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord gave you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Another great promise. Whether you turn to the left or to the right, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. The moon will shine like the sun and the sunlight will be seven times brighter when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. Here's the bottom line. Sin is filth, and until we acknowledge it, we're going to be stuck right where we're at. And I wish at times, even tonight, I could give you a nice, warm, fuzzy, Jesus is our friend, everybody love everybody message, and we'd all smile and go home and say, what a nice night. Tonight's not one of those nights. I'm teaching from a prophet who God said, you don't get it right now. I've got to be as graphic and direct and pointed as I can be because your sin is like diarrhea to me. But there's also a branch. There's also a Savior who comes who when he touches something that's unclean, it becomes clean. When something unclean touches him, it becomes clean. And it doesn't matter how dirty or how filthy it is. The dirtiest, filthiest thing God could describe to the Israelites. When that woman touched Jesus, it became clean. See, a lot of people are afraid to ask for forgiveness because they don't understand the magnitude of grace. They don't understand the magnitude of grace because we're not aware of how sinful and filthy we really are. And so the promise tonight is that there is a branch that when we finally come to the place to say, I can't be righteous, I can't be good, I can't 
measure up. I can't enter into God's, prom, uh, God's presence. God says, finally. That's why I sent Jesus. Let me make you whiter than snow. He says, he says uh, um, uh, and Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. One of the best moments of today, there was a baptism at our church. I don't know if the young lady's here or not, but she just made the statement, and I wrote it down as soon as I got home so I wouldn't forget it. Knowing Jesus, everything is new. That's what the branch does. He takes old, filthy, disgusting lives, and he makes them new. But it doesn't happen until we become aware of our sin. Colossians 3.9 says this, Do not lie to each other. But since you've taken off your old self with his practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator, there is a promise. There is one who makes all things clean, no matter how filthy, no matter how dirty, no matter how awkward, no matter how squeamish. You see, that's the beauty of reading the prophets. When you read from Isaiah on, my dad told me this when I was a teenager, and I've always remembered it. When you read the, prom- the prophets, it's depressing. It's awful. There's plagues, there's punishment, there's consequences. But keep reading because there is always, always a promise. Keep reading. There's always a branch. Let me pray. Lord, I, I don't know exactly how to wrap up tonight, but I trust that your words and, 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 and your pictures have, have struck a chord in us. I pray first for those of us who have become deeply aware of the filth of our sin. And Lord, I thank you for that awareness because it helps us turn to you. And I pray tonight would be a night of freedom, a night of not being afraid anymore, of being able to open ourselves up and ask you to clean us, to clean our hands, to clean our hearts, to clean our spirits, our souls. Lord, for those of us who are still thinking we're pretty good, we're all right. Lord, I pray uh, that in some way, in a stark even if necessary, a crude way, you would make us aware of how sinful we are, not to make us feel bad, not to make us feel ashamed, but to turn our hearts toward you. Thank you for your spirit and presence tonight. Thank you that uh, your word is full and we don't have to be afraid of any of it. And I thank you for each student who's here at Sterling College and, and the opportunity for them to experience you in ways that they wouldn't have someplace else. I pray a blessing over them that you would keep them and strengthen them, that they would experience your love and power, and that they would leave lives that are not afraid. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.